this is Penny Johnson, and you're listening to From Stage to Page, an audiobook podcast devoted to the forgotten stories and memoirs of female performing artists from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In this episode, we conclude with Leszczycki as I Knew Him, written by Ethel Newcomb and published in 1921 by D. Appleton and Company. Chapter 20 In 1907, I came home to America for the wedding of one of my sisters, intending to go back to Vienna, but several circumstances, including a long illness, prevented my ever returning. I did not see Leszczycki again. All that I know of these last years, I have gleaned from his letters. On September 20th, 1907, he wrote me from Wiesbaden. Your letter of the 3rd of September, you have for once written a date, I received in Ischl, where I spent one day only on the journey from Wiesbaden to Vienna. You do not know probably that I have been suffering greatly from rheumatism since July, and have tried to find relief in the sulphur baths of Baden, but have not found it. I came again to Wiesbaden with the greatest hopes of getting rid of my pains, but whether my hopes are to be realized is written in the stars. Certainly I do not know myself. I must be constantly attended by my valet Johann, whom you remember, and have him continually with me, as it is becoming difficult, almost impossible, for me to dress myself, and I am not allowed to be alone or to travel alone. Your letter telling me of the two marriages in your family was no great surprise to me. Young ladies, for whom art is not a substitute for other things, must, particularly when they are beautiful, not only think of getting married, but really do so. I do not know your other sister, but I want to congratulate both of them. How about your concert affairs? You write nothing on this subject, which would have been of greatest interest to me. Forward, forward, plus d'énergie, chère mademoiselle, and I hope that you will return to Vienna crowned with successes. Family is not a substitute for art, except when great love is in the play, and a true love marriage brings to a close the comedy of life. On the 16th of March, 1908, he wrote from Vienna. As I have been looking for you every day in Vienna, I have not written to thank you for your letter and for the charming present, the handkerchief, with my initial embroidered by your own hand. As you haven't come and no one has had a sign of life from you, I am writing now to send you my most appreciative thanks for such a gift. I have no special news to tell you except that for several weeks now I have been legally separated from Madame Eugenie. This process in the law courts has lasted eight and a half months. My health is far from good, and I am still suffering from rheumatism. Some doctors, I have had ten, call it gout, but the worst is sleeplessness. I have many pupils, consequently have much to do, and remain indoors. 
For one and a half seasons, I had not been to a concert until two days ago. My principal amusement is playing cards between twelve and three o'clock at night. Almost every day I play a few games of preference with an American here. My other diversion is the theater. I am expecting more news from you than I can give you in this letter. I am angry that you are not playing more in public, and that I do not read anything in the papers about you. I am waiting for this. Has the example of your sisters perhaps affected you? Are you perhaps going to be married? His next letter to me is dated May twenty third, 1909. My poor dear friend, your letter which reached me today I have read with heartfelt pity. You must have been suffering a long time, dear Ethel, if you are still so ill as you say. It depressed Marie and me very much to know that you had not been well. Footnote. In 1908, he married Marie Rosborska, a young Polish lady, one of his pupils. How I should have liked to come to see you, dear friend, if we were not separated by such a terrible distance. We are very much with you in our thoughts, and we speak so often of you. How I should like to see you again. You have been away from here so long. I did not see Mr. Adams, as he was here during the fortnight which I spent with Marie, Madame Leschetitska, in Berlin. We were invited to Landaker's 25th anniversary by the committee as well as by Landaker himself. You will have read, perhaps, of this anniversary. You know that Landaker built the Philharmonic Hall in Berlin 25 years ago, thus founding the Philharmonic Society. He is owner of this hall, as well as of the Beethoven and Oberlicht halls, all of which are in the same building. You must know these halls because you have played with orchestra in Berlin, probably in the Beethoven Hall, which is not so large as the Philharmonic. We were received in Berlin in the friendliest manner and feted everywhere, so that we have brought back with us only the pleasantest impressions. The journey might have done me a great deal of good, as I was very tired from the lessons in Vienna, but unfortunately the weather at the time, the end of April and beginning of May, was very cold, and my chronic bronchial trouble suffered severely from this. For six weeks I have been coughing like a horse, and since I have come back from Berlin like two horses, only God knows what will come of it. They want, that is, the doctor wants me to go south, and threatens that otherwise there may be bad consequences. Unfortunately, I am not a rich man, not even in entirely comfortable circumstances. Ergo, that means earn as much as you can. There are now here some former American pupils, whom I believe you must know, among them the Dahl Rich and Jeanette Durno, who wish to replenish their repertoire with me. As I believe you are again at home, and no longer in the Buffalo General Hospital, I shall send this to Whitney Point. I hope to receive from you further details of your health, and shall write more of ourselves, and many others of your friends. Meanwhile, I embrace you with heartiest greetings and best wishes from us both. Your true friend, Theodore Leschetitsky. 
P.S. Jane Olmsted Thaw also visited us. We spent many pleasantest hours together. I also had a visit from Bülich. Best greetings to your charming mother. The last word I had from him was a letter sent from Abatsia in October 1911 congratulating me on my birthday. But from Eduard Schutte I have some accounts of these years until 1915 when he died. Schutte was one of his truest and most devoted friends. Leschetizky was always aware of this devotion, and, in spite of the fact that they had often had violent disagreements, he always turned to this friend in time of trouble. Schutte writes that on his 80th birthday, that day that had been celebrated so often with all the festivity that loving friends and pupils could devise, Leschetizky preferred to see no one. His health was failing fast, and his old spirit was gone. The evening before, he met Schutt at the southern station, where they drank a glass of champagne together, and then Leschetizky, accompanied by another true friend, his half-sister, Madame Dunzendorfer, left for Abazia on the coast. She always was and remained devoted to his interests, and with great love and patience supported him through many trials. What a contrast, said Schutt, to the cheerful and beautiful celebrations of former birthdays. In the following years, he did give his lessons, but with effort. Now and then, at his beloved evening classes on Wednesdays, it would seem that the old fire and charm would revive and enchant his beloved pupils as of old. Every summer he still went back to Karlsbad, and afterward to Ischl, and came back to Vienna, apparently somewhat strengthened. Often he would go again to his beautiful Abazia for a few weeks in the autumn. Then came the war. This deprived Leschetizky of the one joy of life, for it took away the youthful and cosmopolitan atmosphere in which he breathed most freely. The Poles and Russians came no longer to Vienna, then the French and the Italians ceased coming, and lastly the English and Americans. This was almost unbearable to him. In January 1915, Schutt writes that he came with his attendant and nurse, Pepi Prehofer, to spend several months with him in Maran, in order, as he said, to be once more with his best friend, alone and undisturbed. He was now physically and spiritually very noticeably shaken, says Schutt, and conducting a conversation with him was hardly possible. In March 1915, I received the following from his faithful attendant. Professor Leschetizky has instructed me, as his nurse, to write to you, as it is not yet possible for him to do so himself, because of an operation on his eyes. Unfortunately, up to this time, he has not gained the strength which he needs. The doctor says it will surely come, but it will take several months to cure his impaired eyesight, injured by the scars of repeated operations. Herr Professor is glad that you are again playing in public 
and are having success. The war affects him very unhappily, and he hopes that it will soon be ended. Herr Professor greets you warmly. Most respectfully, Pepe Prehofer. In the spring of 1915, when the declaration of war by Italy seemed imminent, Meran, so near the Italian border, was a dangerous place to stay in. Schutt had to attend to Leschetizky's safe return to Vienna. Leschetizky was most unhappy, but there was no alternative. Schutt took him to Vienna, where he attended to him constantly. The day before the 22nd of June, his 85th birthday, when they sat together in the Turkenschanz Park, was the last time Schutt saw him. Schutt speaks of him as tender, good, and kind, but deeply embittered, and to the sorrow of all of his friends, very unhappy. At the door of his house in the Karl-Ludingstrasse they separated, and his attendant helped him into the house as he was almost blind. The next morning, which was his 85th birthday, Leschetizky left his home in Vienna, never to return. He went first to Karlsbad, and from there, wherever war conditions would permit. Finally, he went to his son in Dresden, where he was lovingly cared for by him and his daughter-in-law. He stayed first in a hotel, but as his condition grew worse, he was later removed to a sanatorium. There he contracted an acute inflammation of the lungs, and one night quietly closed his eyes forever. He had wanted to have his remains cremated, and requested that nobody attend his funeral. But this, in any event, would have been impossible, as passports were difficult to obtain, and the difficulties of traveling enormous. A year later his only son Robert died, and today the surviving relatives of Leschetizky are Teresa, his daughter, a very esteemed singer in St. Petersburg, and Madame Helen Dunsendorfer, his half-sister. In concluding these recollections of a remarkable man, as well as an inspiring teacher, I cannot do better than to append a charming letter from his very dear and loyal friend, Edward Schutt, giving a few personal impressions of the master. When I recall our dear friend in the flesh, many of his characteristic phrases come to my mind. For instance, how often did he interpret the playing of a pupil and say, Don't play in such a bourgeois manner. I hate everything bourgeois. This expression, better than anything else, characterizes the man who all his life reflected the true bohemian spirit. He had all its sudden impulses, and his soul seemed to be always restlessly seeking contact with a friendly soul. How many other admirable qualities he possessed. For example, he was a wonderfully true friend. What did he not do for the young artists who came to him to learn, and for many of whom, indeed most of whom, he became in time an affectionate friend? Everybody was truly devoted to him. It could not help but be so. And even in cases when he incurred only ingratitude and animosity, 
He kept his poise and good temper. I remember distinctly every detail of our first meeting in St. Petersburg in 1876. I had just completed my final examinations as pupil of Professor Stein at the local conservatory and had played as pièce de résistance the first movement of the concerto in D minor of Rubinstein. Leschetitsky was one of the judges of my performance, which pleased him so well that he gave me the highest mark. I was not personally acquainted with him then, and I was, therefore, not a little proud when he, already such a distinguished authority on music and playing in St. Petersburg, came to me and shook hands with the words, You have played exceptionally well. When, two years later, I heard from Madame Esipoff in Berlin that Leschetitsky was going to transfer his residence to Vienna, I wrote to him at once, asking whether he would accept me as a pupil. By return mail I had his answer. If I would come, he would be only too pleased to be of any assistance or personal service to me in Vienna. Shortly afterward, I knocked at Leschetitsky's door at Vering, in a little house in the Sternwartestrasse that he had just acquired, and which he later let to Hans Richter, the famous Wagner director, who, in his turn, lived there for about fifteen years before he went to England. Little did I think then that this wonderful man and master should become in the future not only my teacher and adviser in all artistic matters, but also my best and dearest friend to thank for drawing me to Vienna, which has been my home for over forty years, and who never tired of advancing and protecting my interests. What a place of incomparable inspiration was Leschetitsky's home for every young artist, and nobody understood so well as he how to receive in his house such men as Liszt, Rubinstein, Brahms, Tchaikovsky, Grieg, Massenet, and many other great masters upon whom he exercised the most fascinating charm of the man of the world. Whoever has not seen Leschetitsky on such occasions has not known fully this rare personality. Every subject he touched upon he illumined with an intellectuality that captivated the hearers. And, although in argument he defended with warmth his own point of view, he had the greatest respect for the opinions of his opponents. His perfect poise never forsook him. Until the eighty-second year of his life, he remained continually energetic, worked indefatigably, and was always an inspiring teacher. Then suddenly the life machine gave way. The tragic war dispersed his pupils in all directions, and it seemed that he could not live without this youthful circle. He grew ill and restless. In January 1915, he came to Meran in the Tyrol to visit me, but the light in his eyes, the light that charmed everybody young and old, was gone forever. In the autumn of 1915, he closed these wonderful eyes forever. In Leschetitsky, the world lost a great master and a wonderful man. <laughs>